0: Today, the you know the title of my message is uh, "How I Love Your House, O Lord." And just as we were worshiping, I was I was I mean I was just kind of getting lost in worship, and and I was realizing as, as really part of worship is just gazing upon the Lord. And there's so much of, of our issues, our problems, that they basically get solved in the presence of the Lord. And as we take the focus off of ourselves and we we put it on Him, it's it's like the other things you know just start taking care of themselves. And so I want to just talk today about the house of the Lord because you know so many times we we can just think, oh, uh, it's a church building. It's it's you know just uh, they're they're all over the place. It's just a church building. But really, it's a lot more than just a church building because, not because of the building, but because of, of God. So we're just going to go through that. And uh, so years ago, I, I was working at a church in Dallas, and my office was, you know, behind the sanctuary, upstairs, in the back corner. It was uh, the, the dressing room for the baptistry, so some Monday mornings, it'd be all wet <laughs> in my office. And then the rest of the offices were way in the front, and there was no hallway to get there. So a lot of times, I would just walk through the sanctuary just to to get to to the front offices. And I remember uh, there was a message taught. I don't even remember anything about what they said or who even said it. But many times, I would just be walking through, and there'd just be one little light bulb, you know, just... On all the time, so that nobody would trip and fall as they walked through the sanctuary, and I remember just walking one day and just saying, "Lord, I love your house." and And as since I was always walking through through this space, many times I would just find myself just saying, "Lord, I love this house." and because for me, it was a place of transformation. It was a place where all these times that I met the Lord. In this house, and all the changes that that, that had happened at, up to that point and that continue to happen today, so kind of the key verse that I want to share, or I mean by the way we 're going to share a lot of verses today. I hope you love the bible uh, but it's psalms twenty six eight and it says, "I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells see it's not just a building, whether it's rented, whether it's purchased. It really isn't just a building. It's a place where he dwells. And uh, it's, it says in Psalms 132, 7, Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. It's, it's like like God chooses to use these church buildings. It's like His footstool. So He's kind of looking on the earth, and you know, because God's everywhere. Okay, so it's not like He exists in one place and then He <laughs> walks over to Soma to visit. He's everywhere, and but there's times that He chooses. To to present himself, they call it the manifest presence of God. Where he comes and he says, "Oh, here's his little footstool, and I'm going to choose to dwell there, and I'm going to choose to 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 meet you there." And that's why these places are important because of that. It's a dwelling place for the Lord. So in Exodus, you've been on Exodus, right? Uh, Exodus twenty five eight. It says, uh, and I'm going to, since there's so many stories that I'm going to be reading today, I'm just going to kind of cut some verses. But in Exodus 25:8, it's the first time where it's, it's God's talking to Moses about building a tabernacle. And he says, then have them make me a sanctuary for me. And I will dwell among them. So this is the place. This is the verse that that really clarifies God's thought: is you build it, and I will dwell there. So, because I was wondering, it's like, well, is it just in our mind? You know that you know it sounds good. God's here. Uh, it's like no, it's His idea that He says. Have them make the sanctuary, and I will dwell there so it's it's like i i I was just thinking about it it's like, okay, there's a timeless God, God doesn't live in time, and um he just chooses to kind of step into time and dwell with us in this place. I think that's pretty cool, <laughs> so and again, it's not that this is the dwelling place. It's just a dwelling place. So, you know, Soma's great, you know, but there's a lot of great churches. So it's not, you know, like the place. It's just a place for his presence. So what I, I want to quickly just go over, uh, there's five houses of God that are talked about in the Bible. And I'm just going to quickly go through them. And uh, what I want you to be thinking about as I go over them is whose idea was it? Okay, was it God's idea? Or was it some man's idea? Okay, because it's going to be both. So be thinking of whose idea was it. And then the second was what was the response of the people? Towards this house of God, so the first one, um, Jacob. Okay, so Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he was fleeing because uh, of naughtiness. His brother wanted to kill him, and so he stops by this place and it's time to go to sleep. So he gets a rock, which to me is not very comfortable, but he puts a rock and just falls asleep, and he has a dream. And so people call this kind of Jacob's ladder, but he sees just this vision of, of of a stair stairway to heaven and angels going up and down, and and then the Lord speaks to him in in this dream and basically says, "I'm gonna I'm gonna bless your socks off." So this land that you're sleeping on, it's yours and to your descendants. So he wakes up and he goes. And this is uh, Genesis twenty-eight sixteen and 17. He says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. So he called that place Bethel, which means house of God. So, so in this situation... Uh, he, you know, actually didn't build anything. I mean, just put a couple of rocks and did some sacrifices. But it was just Jacob that just, it's like he just got this revelation of God and said, wow, your presence is here. This is your house. And, and it's interesting. His response was, was found, is found in verse 22. And he says, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. It's interesting because this was before the law, so there was no teaching about tithing. And it was literally, the guy just wakes up, has his incredible dream, and just says, God, I'm a tither from now on. <laughs> and uh, now his granddad, you know, he, we have evidence that Abraham tithed once, but Jacob is the first tither, okay? So that's the, that's the first one, uh, Bethel, the house, the first house of God. Very simple, but hey, that was the first one. <laughs> the second one was the tabernacle of Moses, and this is found in Exodus 25. And okay, it, tell I'll tell you that before I started preparing for this message, I I didn't realize how incredible this this tent was. Okay, I mean I I you know I've seen pictures of it, and it looks good, but I mean it wasn't that incredible to me. But I changed my mind. (laughs) So Exodus 25-2, I read it a little while ago. Uh, There were parts of it. Um, The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. So kind of a tell, tell, tell. However, you are to receive an offering from me from each man whose heart Prompts him to give. So it's interesting that, that, that God said, Hey, I want to, to build this, this tabernacle, uh, but I only want people whose hearts are prompted to give. And we're going to see that that's really a pattern that's found in all of these houses of God is what's called a free will offering. And it's, it's basically God saying, it's like, look, if it's not in your heart to give, I don't really want it. It's because he really wants our heart. So, so then he says, then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make the, this tabernacle and all this furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So I you know did a little bit of research and found out that, you know, how much gold was given towards it and, and things like that. And I made a calculation. Okay, I'm going to do it a couple of times. So this one in today's dollars was about $49 million. Okay. All right. The price of gold is maybe a little inflated. So let's just say $10 million. Okay. It blew me away because there was, I mean, I thought that it was just like this simple um, simple tabernacle, but it had 26,000 ounces of gold. It had 90,000 ounces of silver. So, (laughs) I'm just saying, it's like, okay, wow, this this isn't just a tent. You know, this is pretty cool. Okay, but, all right, so whose idea? This idea, it was God. God said, build it for me. And then the people, in Exodus 36, 5 and 7, This is the people's response. The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. In other words, 48, 49 million is enough. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because they already had what they already had was more than enough for all the work so that was the response of the people to to this first tabernacle and again as i said i didn't realize how cool of a tabernacle it was well the third the third dwelling house uh, there's very little stated about it and it's the tabernacle of david and basically this uh, in the the tabernacle was the ark of the covenant so if you've Who has seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? They are always searching for that lost ark of the covenant. So, and believe me, it's hard to find because it it was 300 years in Shiloh and 100 years here, 100 years there. And so then finally David got a hold of it, King David. And uh, I really like King David, by the way. And uh, so he got it and he built a tabernacle and we don't know anything about it okay all we know is that he built it so uh, and that he made offerings on it so that's all we know about uh, David's tabernacle well the next one is the first temple now this one was the granddaddy this was the temple and uh, so David uh, he lived in the city of David and so let me just give you a picture of the city of David. Basically, it's, there's a hill, and his house, which they just recently think they found, um, is uh, kind of on the top of the hill. And then, so the rest of the city was underneath it. But then, on top was a bigger hill, okay? So he was, one day... He must have just been kind of staring over the city, and he probably saw his tabernacle. Knowing David, he could probably see it wherever it was. So it says in 2 Samuel 7, he says, Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, and I'm sure it was a nice house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, (laughs) that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I live in a house of cedar, But the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. And then Nathan said to him, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now, Nathan got a little carried away too, because God didn't actually say that. And uh, so Nathan left, and God said, No, 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 no. David is not the one that's going to build it, because he was a man... Uh, with blood in his hands. It was going to be his son. And uh, But you see, I mean, that's David. I mean, so David was kind of looking and said, here I am in this really nice house. And look at God's presence. His ark is in these tents. And so it was something that just kind of welled up inside of him. And uh, But then Nathan came back and said, got some bad news. Uh, yes, build it. But it's not going to be you, it's going to be your son and uh, so then, in verse fourteen, <clears throat> so this is uh, this is all in uh, first chronicles uh, verse five, he said, "My son Solomon, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be great magnificence and the fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations, therefore." I will make preparations for it. So, David made extensive preparations before his death. So, this was, I mean, okay, Tony, you know, Pastor Tony was just talking about how who knows what the next step is. And well, here, David was, hey, you're going to die. I mean, you're not actually going to even be able to see this magnificent temple that you're making preparations. And he basically said, hey, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make all the preparations for this. All right, so this is going to blow you away. Uh, Verse 14, because this is what David contributed towards this temple. I have taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord a hundred and ten tons of gold, two hundred and sixty tons of silver, quantities of bronze and iron too great to be weighed, and wood and stone. And he's talking to Solomon, and he says, and you may add to it. (laughs) All right, so I did my calculations. You know, people don't exactly know how much a talent is, but, you know, these are all just estimates. It came out to $187 billion. Okay? Because we're talking 110 tons of gold. It sells by the ounce. Okay, it's yesterday's price was seventeen hundred and forty-nine dollars and twenty cents an ounce, and there was um, one hundred and ten tons of it. So the the silver itself was thirty billion dollars. Okay, again, let's say that it's inflated. Okay, we're still talking twenty to fifty billion dollars worth of stuff, and what people think. Is that this was basically the the loot from all the battles that you know basically the king gets a big portion of all the loot, and that he basically just like here just take take most of this loot all right, so time goes by he 's getting older he 's done all these preparations, and now it 's time for him to have his talk with the people and so this is found in first chronicles uh, twenty nine Verse 3 through 5, he says, Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give... Now, remember, he gave $180 billion. He goes, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and beyond everything I have provided for this holy temple. And 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of refined silver... Now, and he's talking to the people. Now he's talking to all the people. He says, "Now, who is willing to consecrate himself today for the Lord?" Well, in that in the beginning of this, it says today. It says besides in my devotion to the temple of my God. Other words for devotion. uh, Another version says in my delight. Another one says in my affection. So these were all strong words of David towards the house of God saying, hey, you know, it's like my heart is there. That is what I am, that's, that's what I want to give myself to. All right, so again, did my little calculation. Now this wasn't, <clears throat> you know, quite as much, you know, because he had already emptied out the, the big treasures. This one was only 48 Nine, $4.9 billion. Okay, so that was kind of his at the end. Oh, here, I have another $5 billion. Here you go. <clears throat> okay, so whose idea? This was David. God didn't say, build me a temple. In fact, in Second, in 1 Samuel 7, 7, this is God speaking. He said, this was after David said, hey, I want to build a temple. Uh, God said, did I ever say to any of their rulers, why have you not built me a house of cedar? And so God was just making it clear, hey, this was not my idea. Good idea. And actually, God gave them all the plans. So, okay, you want to build it? Okay, this is how you build it. So he gives them all the plan. Um, But it was all David's heart. And... uh, and this is, so th- this, this verse is going to capture David's heart. It's uh, 1 Chronicles 29, 14. It says, but who am I? And he's, this is a prayer. He's praying it in front of everybody. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hands. So David I mean, the guy, you know, he he made a lot of mistakes, but he learned. And he realized, okay, yeah, I'm fabulously wealthy. But you know what? God enabled me to have this wealth. And uh, so then the people's response, okay, so all that was just David's response. So I'm just going to read some. I didn't do this calculation. But then the people gave uh, 5,000 talents of gold, 10,000 derricks of gold. I don't even know what those are. 10,000 talents of silver. A talent is 75 pounds. So um, 35,000 pounds of gold. uh, 70,000 pounds of silver. um, 18,000 back to talents of bronze. 100,000 talents of iron. I mean, so it's just the people responded. Okay now I'm not sure that much was needed after what David did but the people still kind of got back in got into it. All right so that's the the big one that's the big daddy okay so then uh uh well you know Israel a lot of their kings you know kind of weren't very obedient and uh so things you know kind of g- got bad and and the house was in ruins so basically I mean there was not too much left so then it was time for the second temple. And uh, so they were actually in exile. So they were, you know, Babylon had taken them away. And, well, then the kings of Medes, uh, Medes and the Persians kind of, you know, beat the, the Babylonians. And uh, so this is, so now we go into the book of Ezra. And this is verse 1 and 2. And, we're, and now it's King Cyrus and he's the, the king of Persia. And uh, these, you know, the Persians at this time, they were the big daddies. I mean, uh, if you ever saw the movie 300, I mean, they had hundreds of thousands of soldiers. I mean, they were huge, their kingdom. So this was King Cyrus. And he says, and this is uh, verse 2, says, This is what the Cyrus king of Persia says the lord the god of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build a temple at jerusalem now it doesn't exactly say too much about how he got to this point okay uh, jeremiah had had made some prophecies and you know in 70 years you're going to return and and it says that god uh, prompted him uh, to to say this. He moved the heart of Cyrus. But again, we don't know how Cyrus even found out about that prophecy. And uh, But he f- found out about Jeremiah's prophecy and says, hey, I'm going to be part of that. And he says, the Lord has appointed me to do this. So again, this is the, the most powerful man in the world. And so then basically, he says, uh, you know, he empties out the... the all the stuff that had been taken by Babylon gave all that back. But again, that wasn't his. He was just returning all of that. And then verse 4, it says, And the people of any place where survivors may now be living are to provide him, Ezra, with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with the free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. And then... uh Verse 5, then the heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart had been moved, prepared to go up and build a house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors, because not everybody went back to Jerusalem, all their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock and valuable gifts, in addition to all the freewill offerings. And so there was this big response. It's like, okay, hey, this small band of Israelites are going back to repair the temple. And uh, so then, this is the response of the people. In Ezra 2, 68 and 69, it says, when they arrived at the house of, of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the families gave free will offerings toward the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the t- treasury for this work 61,000 drachmas of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priestly garments. So that was all, you know, again, so this was just the king, you know, the king saying, hey, uh, that temple's pretty important, so go. And you got to remember, they were enslaved, okay? They were captives. And so it was really the king saying, hey, I'm going to set you free. Whoever wants to go, you're free to, to go. To rebuild that temple. Well. uh, In Ezra there's actually three kings. That get involved. So I'm going to just quickly go over them. But the second one was actually. King Darius. And this is Ezra 5 and 6. And you know the temple work had stopped. Because people had come against them, And then they appealed to. the, The new king Darius. And Darius searched the records. And found what King Cyrus had said. And he says. Hey. Go, go, go! Rebuild it. Don't, don't interfere with them. And he's, then he says, the expenses of these men are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury, so that the work will not stop. Whatever is needed for the burnt offerings must be given. <laughs> and and I'm going to read this verse in the Message Bible. Uh, this is uh, around Ezra six eleven. I've issued an official decree that anyone who violates this order is to be impaled on a timber torn out of his own house and the house itself made a manure pit. (laughs) So it was like, I mean, Darius was like, dude, don't let this house be built. And uh, again, these were pagan kings. Okay, these weren't, you know, God loving. I mean, they just they they were just pagans. Well, then <clears throat> the next king was King Aziz, Xerxes, something like that, okay? <laughs> it, it looks like art Zerzes, but I'm sure that's not. So again, something happened. The building had stopped. And he says, Moreover, you are to take with you the silver and gold uh, the king and his advisors have freely given to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. Together with all the silver and gold, you may obtain from the province of Babylon, he was basically saying, "Hey, whatever you need from the province of Babylon, you just you know here's the blank check as well as the free will offerings of the people and priests for the temple of their God in Jerusalem, so these pagan priests i mean kings somehow they 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 kind of knew it was like, wow you know." I'm I'm not going to order these people to give to the temple. If they're going to give, it's going to be free will. So it's like, where did they get that? I mean, it's it's like all these kings are basically saying, hey, anybody that wants to join in, you know, they're kings. They could say, you have to. We're going to put a tax. Every Israelite is going to have to to pay to rebuild that temple. But no, these three, the most powerful men in the world, basically said, and... Free will offerings, so again, whose idea it was the king's. I mean it was basically the three kings, and uh, the, the the people's response was fr- free will offerings so those are you know basically the the five the five uh, houses and so I, I want to talk about two attitudes of the heart because you know when you go through something like this where you're, you know, trying to raise funds for, for, for a building, it, it really comes down to the heart, and that's where with, you know, with these verses that I was sharing, it just kept talking about free will offerings, free will offerings, free will, you know, and it's, so I'm thinking, okay, so on one hand, these are the two kind of attitudes. (laughs) One is like the widow's might, so, you know. Jesus was looking, people were giving into the treasury, and people think that it wasn't tithes, it was actually offerings that they were giving. And she throws in two mites. So I don't know what a mite is, really, but very little. And, uh, and Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the, t- the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty... Put in everything, all she had to live on. Now, this widow, uh, that's how her affection was towards God. It's like, hey, you know, I just have these two mites, but, you know, and she was probably, she might have even been embarrassed, you know, to put it in there. And um, I, I remember one time uh, I was doing a, I was an executive pastor at a church in Virginia. And we were doing this big stewardship campaign, trying to raise uh, $8 million. It was a big project. And um, we were having these small receptions. And, and there was this, this elderly widow. And she had a, a son who was um, me, you know, mentally challenged. And so she sat kind of in, in the back. And it, I mean, this was early. I mean, it was all empty. And and, you know, so I went up to her and I, you know, thanked her for coming and asked her, well, why don't you sit up front? And she goes, oh, oh, she goes, I, I don't have that much to give. I'm going to leave that space for people that can give more. And my heart just kind of, kind of, you know, cracked in, in two. And it's like, no, 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 please come sit at my table. So I, I brought her up to, to sit on my my table because her heart was she wanted to give and she did give. But she knew that what she had wasn't numerically a lot. Well, okay, so that's concern for God. That's concern for his kingdom. Well, in, in Haggai, we, we see the opposite. And this is, uh, so before, um, well, this is Haggai 1, 2, uh, 2 through 4. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say... Because, again, the temple had been stopped. Um, this time, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. This is God speaking. The, the, these people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? So in one, it was a concern for God. The other was a concern for people's own well-being. And, and we contrast this with David, who was living in his paneled house, and he was looking out and said, no, how, you know, why am I here when the tent? I mean, the ark is in the tent. And here, these people were, were looking at the ruins of the second temple and saying, you know, hey, I'm going to build my house. And uh, the, the, another contrast is found in Luke, and there's the, the rich young ruler, and then there's Zacchaeus. So the rich young ruler basically comes to Jesus and says, what does it take to, to get eternal life? And so Jesus basically says, well, be a good person. You know, do this, 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 this. I got them all. I've done it since my youth. So then Jesus said, Oh, okay. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And his face just dropped. He just was sad and he walked away. And it was because he had many possessions. Okay, so that's the rich young ruler. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Okay, now we are not very fond of the IRS today, but back then they were even worse. I mean, they I mean they put you in prison. You know, they, they were bad people. They were very despised. The the Jews hated tax collectors because they were partners with the the Gentiles in, in all of this stuff. So Jesus comes into town and Zacchaeus, who, you know, was a very short man, and uh, so he was a short man. <laughs> So he climbs up to a tree to to see Jesus because he you know finds out that they're com- that he's coming but everybody all the regular people are are blocking his view so he climbs up and he looks down and then Jesus says, "Hey, I want to have dinner with you." And he jumps down and says, "Great." And then the the Jews say, "You're eating with tax collectors to to Jesus." And Zacchaeus, okay, Totally unprompted. I mean, he just has just jumped off the tree. Okay? Jesus didn't give any speech. He was just walking by. And then Zacchaeus says, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Wow. Okay, so... Over here, I mean, Jesus was giving a sermon to the rich young ruler, of what does it take to, you know, to approach him, and and he was, oh, I got that, I got that checked off, checked off. Ooh, give, uh, no, no, bye. And then Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, basically was saying, "Hey, half here, right? Half. I mean." There was no sermon, there was no moving message, you know, then we're going to pass the plate. No, it it was just his heart. His heart was, wow, the king is before (laughs) me, and i got to do something. I'm just going to give. So a common theme in all of this is just that free will offering. It's just something that just comes up inside of you and just says, hey... I want to do this. So I just made a little list, what a free will offering is and what it isn't. Okay, so a free will offering is not an obligation. So it's not, you have to. Okay, because even God was saying, hey, I only want people whose heart is prompted. So a free will offering is totally voluntary. Okay, so I should free you because it's not an obligation. It's voluntary. A free will offering is not meeting other people's expectations. So it's like, man, you know, Joe gave. You know, I know Joe's going to give, so I'm sure he's expecting me to give. Uh, It's like, no, a free will offering is a desire of your heart. So it's something you want to do. A free will offering is not from guilt. Guilt says, man, I got to do something. You know, it's like everybody's doing something. I guess I should do something. I don't want to do something, but I'm going to do something. A free will offering is a prompting in your heart that you want to follow. Because God is going to prompt hearts, and then it's up to you of what you want to do with that prompting. And finally, a free will offering is a delight. So like David was saying, Wow, my affection, my delight, my devotion. Okay, so a free will offering is a delight. I mean it brings a smile to your face. It's something, you know, kind of you walk kind of with a little step because you're happy. It is not a, a grievous action. Because sometimes, you know, some people, they like give and they're sad. I mean, it's it's like they're, they've like, oh, okay, here. You know, it's, here's my offering. It's like, dude, that's not what it's about. So, um so that's why I, I just wanted to share that. It's, you know, to me, uh, it just comes down to how you view the house of God. And it's not about, it's not a transaction between you and Tony, the elders, Soma. It's, it's, it's not just because there's a need. Uh, when it comes down to it, it's a transaction between you and God. It's you that are saying to God, God, this is what I want to do for you. And this is your presence. This is a place where your your presence dwells. And of my free will, I want to do this. And uh, so thank you so much for, for allowing me to be here. Bless you guys.